is Polyphonic Press, the podcast where two music fans pick a classic album completely at random. Using the patented random album generator, they are given an album to review from a curated list of over 1,000 classic releases, spanning multiple genres. And now onto the show. Here are your hosts, Jeremy Boyd and John Van Dyke. Hey, welcome to Polyphonic Press. I'm Jeremy Boyd. And I'm John Van Dyke. Let's uh, not waste any time here. We've got the uh, patented random album generator right in front of us here. So let's hit the button and see what album we're going to be listening to this week. And the album we're going to be listening to is Simon and Garfunkel, Parsley, Sage, Rosemary, and Time. Ah. Okay. Simon and Garfunkel's first masterpiece, Parsley, Sage, Rosemary, and Time, was also the first album on which the duo, in tandem with engineer Roy Haley, exerted total control from beginning to end, right down to the mixing, and it was an achievement akin to the Beatles' revolver or the Beach Boys' pet sounds. Uh, And just as personal and pointed as either of those records at, at their respective best. After the frantic rush to put together an LP in just three weeks that characterized the Sound of Silence album early in 1966, Parsley, Sage, Rosemary, and Time came together over a longer gestation period of about three months, an uncommonly extended period of recording in those days, but it gave the duo a chance to develop and shape the songs the way they wanted them. The, the album opens with one of the last vestiges of Paul Simon's stay in England, Scarborough Fair slash Canticle. The latter was, uh, was the duo's adaptation of a centuries-old English folk song in an arrangement that Simon had learned from Martin Carthy. The two transformed the song into a daunting achievement in the studio, however, incorporating a um, myriad vocal overdubs and utilizing a harpsichord among other instruments to embellish it and also wove into its structure simon's the side of a hill a gentle anti-war song that had previously uh that he had previously recorded on the simon paul simon songbook in england Uh, The sonic results were startling on their face, a record that was every bit as challenging in its way as good vibrations, but the subliminal subliminal effect was even more profound, mixing a hauntingly beautiful antique melody and a song about love in a peaceful domestic setting with a message about war and death. Simon and Garfunkel were never as political as, say, Peter, Paul, and Mary or Joan Baez, but on this record they did bring the Vietnam War home. So this was released on October 24th, 1966 on Columbia Records. It was produced by Bob Johnston. Uh, Side A uh, starts with Scarborough Fair slash Canticle and ends with the 59th Bridge song. Uh, So if you're listening along, that's where we'll stop halfway through the album and, and discuss it. Okay, so let's start the album off with Scarborough Fair slash Canticle. Okay. All right, ending side one there with the 59th bridge song and in brackets, feeling groovy. I'm always impressed when I hear Simon and Garfunkel and just the 
not only the lyrics, but the, the, the vocal harmonies that they managed to get just out of two people is yeah. pretty astounding. Yeah, they, they could sound almost like a, a small choir. Yeah. But it's just the two of them. Very talented uh, vocalists, for sure. I'm actually uh, enjoying sort of the, the mix of styles that they're putting forth on this album. It's, it's pretty cool. It's, uh, it's another great album from 66. Yeah, there seemed to be a, a pretty, you know, good period there in the in the mid '60s where all these really popular artists, pop artists, folk artists, whatever you want to say, were putting out some of their best work. You obviously had the Beatles with Rubber Soul and Revolver. You had Simon and Garfunkel with this album, and then you had the Beach Boys with Pet Sounds, and then I. Th- think the Rolling Stones started to come into their own and so you just had this really prolific period of of pop music that was really interesting you know but yeah you're right this this album is really it's funny it's like they're 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 going through a whole bunch of styles but it's still somehow them and it all works together like I don't feel like going from one song to the next that it the, like the next song doesn't make sense. You know, it may be a different style, a different feel, but it still makes it like it's not jarring. It's a it's still a cohesive whole. It's an album. It's a proper album. Not necessarily a comp concept album. It's but it's it's it is an album. Yeah, it's not a yeah, you're right. It's not an album that like tells a story or has a narrative. It's not Tommy, you know. So so it's it's it is a collection of songs, but like the the description was saying, like they were very they were conscious of of making an album, not just a collection of songs. They were, you know, and they had the, the for the first time they had total control with the help of the producer and sort of really making their own decisions and what kind of music they want to make, what kind of sounds they want, what in- instruments they want. And they, this is really them not just becoming a folk duel, but really becoming artists and record makers. I was just looking at some of the people who, who played on this and I'm not surprised. It's a lot of the people that they refer to as the wrecking crew. So Hal Blaine is on drums Joe South is on guitar. Carol Kay plays bass on Scarborough Fair and Homeward Bound. And so you have all these really cool... Then these, these are session musicians that played on a lot of pop music from the 60s. Like Hal Blaine, I think, is played on everybody's album. He's the drummer for everybody's album, I think, from the 60s. Yeah. Um, and Carol Kay on bass seems to be... She's everywhere too. Yeah. What I first talking about specific songs, like for the first song, Scarborough Fair, I found myself really getting lost in the vocals. I, and it, it's a song that I had heard before. Like a lot of these songs, like I am familiar with a lot of these songs. I'm not familiar with the whole album, but I'm familiar with the singles that were released from the album. And so Scarborough Fair is a song that I had heard before, but I never really got into it. I, I, I don't know if I just kind of thought it was kind of boring. And I guess it's that sort of almost Baroque pop 
sound that it has and it's sort of like that um that that sort of that just that sound it's like okay yeah i get it it's like green sleeves or something like that it's like this you know irish folk song from the medieval times or something like it has that sort of feel to it very you know almost um like i can see really overcast uh skies and just this sort of cold feeling when i listen to it it's just the the way that it sounds but i found myself because i'm forced to to really hear it i really found myself towards the end of the song getting really lost in the vocals and the vocal harmonies and the the overdubs it's because they were saying very specific phrases but i couldn't really make out exactly what they were saying which i think was the point they were trying to you know make this sort of wash of voices just come over and take over the whole mix really it's like it took over everything um and then it you know towards the end of the song it it sort of you know calmed down a little bit but i found myself really it's like wow this is really kind of psychedelic in a way and but not too weird it was just it was just kind of perfect and so that really made me appreciate the song more in a way that i hadn't before yeah um like like uh like you were saying just uh before is this, uh, some of these songs i am familiar with like scarborough fair and homeward bound and the 59th street bridge song or feeling groovy i was not familiar with uh i i enjoyed but i was not familiar with um patterns or the big bright green pleasure machine which i thought were kind of fun yeah yeah those were uh really cool just fun pop songs and again they're just mixed in there with the other songs and they just fit really well for some reason you know it's just they just they just work <laughs> big bright green pleasure machine yeah you could definitely hear the psychedelia coming in in a little bit again they never went as far as say uh you know Jimi hendrix would or some of the really obscure guys out there would do or like you know the 13th floor elevators or something like that but uh it's definitely got one of those denser titles that's just a little on the weird side i have a feeling they're talking about this is my own interpretation but i I have a feeling there they might be talking about television because in the 60s television was really starting to to become very common um in a way that like say the internet had been in like the 2000s you know and there's sort of a parallel there and so i think there's sort of a you know i could be totally wrong that that's what they're talking about they could be talking about the uh the the record i think they might be just talking about entertainment in general really could be yeah uh but yeah that was a really cool the just the but just the sound of that song was really cool and the it was a faster song and so it really actually that's it, because it was a faster song, it really came in at the right time and really picked things up. So the sequencing on this album and the the choices that they're making of where to place each song, that's actually something that I feel is like a lost art in in deciding what order to to put the songs. And in the and but I feel like that really comes in at the right time when you're listening to the album because it just it just picks everything up and you, and you know, okay, it's a fast song now I can, you know, carry on. 
just when just when maybe the energy is starting to dip a little bit, it just sort of you know picks everything up. Yeah, I've noticed there's been a few albums where I thought they ran out of gas out of the, the towards the end of the album, and I'm thinking, I, th- I think they could have mixed their upbeat songs a little bit further down into the list of other things and take take the energy out of you by the time the album's wrapping up. So, so yeah, I guess we'll uh, move on to the next side or the side two and it starts with uh, the dangling conversation here we go okay ending the album on a pretty heavy note there with uh silent night and seven the seven o'clock news which was Silent Night, the traditional, I guess it's a Christmas carol, with someone reading the news of the day, which all were negative stories. And this was 66. Things were about to get a little darker. (laughs) Yeah, the next uh, two years are going to be pretty wild, and I think 68 was probably the worst, at least in the States. Yeah. Yeah, this was two years before that. So, yeah, it's it's just starting. Um, you know, I, yeah, that was that was interesting because it because the description of the album said it wasn't very political. But I guess, you know, that wasn't really that political. It was just sort of like, here's what's happening right now. And then sort of the counterpoint to this really peaceful sort of song and just sort of putting that against each other. It was interesting just to sort of say, hey, you know, I know all this stuff. I know all this stuff is happening, but it's probably going to be okay. Yeah, they were definitely going for a juxtaposition there between, um, you know, the what was on the news and then current affairs and stuff like that. And between the, the probably one of the most peaceful sort of quiety uh, songs of, uh, you know, ever written. It's just, you know, I like the uh, Dylan-esque, uh, a simple desultory philpic or how I was Robert McNamara into submission. <laughs> it's also a very Bob Dylan um, title. Again, sort of psychedelic. It, uh, that was, yeah, that was a really cool song with the fuzz guitar and just sort of a, it, well, it sounded like a Dylan song, like that mid-60s Dylan sound with the organ uh, after Dylan went electric. Yeah, that was cool. And then the actually the song before that, too, Flowers Had Never Been With The Rainfall, I feel like some of his vocal delivery was sort of a little bit Dylan, too. There was some... The way he was singing was like this sort of fast, sort of rhyming each word kind of thing that Dylan would do in the 60s. He was doing a little bit of that in in Flowers Never Been with the Rainfall as well. And yeah, this is uh this is an interesting album. Very interesting album. I I to be honest, when it came up on the uh album generator, I was not disappointed, but it's like it's like, oh, this is gonna be an album like I'm I just was I, I don't think I was quite in the mood. And I was like Gotcha. 
oh, this is going to be an album of slow songs. It's going to be a drag to get through. Not that I don't appreciate it, but I'm just not in the mood to listen to that kind of thing right now. Yeah, sometimes it'd be like we'd like to be given something a little more upbeat from this thing sometimes. Yeah, this one seems a little more um, more eclectic. It's more, not only eclectic, it, it really mixes it up. It's, they're treating each song, like uh, what I found with this album is each song was different from the last, but they're treating each song as an individual piece in the fa- in the sense that they are making choices that fit that song specifically whereas i feel like a lot of albums they're going for a sound for the whole album and it seems like th- some of the songs suffer because things would have been cool if they added something or if they didn't have something, but because it fits the, the sound of the whole album, they, they do, they compromise the song to go for the sound of the album. Whereas I feel like this, they're treating each song individually and they're making choices that fit each song. Like, you know, uh, like the, the, the Dylan song, the simple, uh, simple does, desultory fill pick yes that one <laughs> uh i feel like you know they had like the electric guitar the fuzz guitar and the organ and that and they made those choices specifically to fit that song whereas if they had done that on say homeward bound it it might have been cool but it wouldn't have quite fit the song so i feel like they're they're really conscious of okay, what's right for this song that we're doing right now? And, but at the same time, the way they've sequenced the album is each song fits in with the last and there, there's no curveballs and there's no, you know, there's no surprises really. There's different things to keep you interested, but there's no, nothing feels off or out of place, which is, almost impossible to do it's a it's a it's definitely a delicate balancing act i find you're generally pretty safe i mean people make a conscious effort to make uh an album sort of sound the same and sometimes that's cool sometimes it works for you know depending on what they're doing especially on a concept album from my experience it's more it works more like with like you know your prog and proto metal bands and stuff like that they they had a tendency to to do that but you're gonna sort of sound like you at that period no matter what you do so you might as well mix it up a little bit and it's still gonna be a snapshot of you at that time and you know later on you're probably gonna sound a little different anyway so by the time that next album comes about yeah it's it's i wouldn't fret too much about it like uh a lot of these really classic albums i don't think some of them were uh, literally just, uh, you know, almost like a compilation of just stuff that they were doing in the studio to put together. I mean, obviously this one, they actually um, sat down to do an album as they were describing um, because they had full creative control over it. Um, but yeah, there's lots of uh, other classic albums out there that are basically just made up of what they were doing in the studios over a certain amount of time. And then they just sort of assembled it into an album to put it out, you know, including the single or sometimes without the single. Yeah. And I also feel that, you know, they're like, 
they're not doing, you know, they're not trying to sound like cream, you know, they're, they're doing what they do, you know? And so they're not, uh, you know, they're not trying to, to fit into like, they don't have the record company breathing down their neck saying, Oh, you need to, you need to sound like this because we need, we'll sell, sell more albums because you'll, you know, you need to, you know, put, you know, big electric guitars on your album because that's really hot right now. And you know, they're not, they don't have that pressure. So they're, they're staying true to themselves. Folk music was really popular in the early sixties. And so I think there was still a lot of freedom for pop, for folk artists to kind of do that thing through the mid and late sixties. And some of them like Simon Garfunkel, I don't think they had any trouble selling these albums. No, no, not at all. But what I'm saying is they don't, they're not trying to be something they're not, right? Whereas I feel maybe a little later, a lot of artists are trying to do that. Especially towards the 80s when everybody was told to suddenly accept the, you know, the Roland DX7 as God and and, and bands that have absolutely no business using them were forced to use them. And in the right context, it can sound good, but not... Yeah, no, it's true. It's got its place. But, you know, not everybody has to use it. (laughs) Sometimes it doesn't fit. Yeah. But, yeah, anyway, I was was really uh, pleasantly surprised with this album. I... So, I want to sort of start having, like, a new, like, a rating system. Or to sort of wrap up the episode. So, I guess, kind of the, the way we would say, like... I guess the question would be like, would you listen to this again? So to, to wrap it, to wrap things up, wrap the episode up, would you listen to this again? Yes. Oh, I would. This, this is a good, this is a, a definite put it on again. Yes. Me too. Yeah. yeah. I would absolutely put this on again. And I think, I don't think I would l- put it in my music collection and, uh, listen to it on shuffle. I think I might need to listen to the whole album. You know, some of the songs maybe, but I think I would need to listen to the whole album again rather than, you know, put on different ones. So, yes, it's a yes from me as well. So we will end the show there. Thank you so much for listening. If you made it this far, you can check us out on polyphonicpress.com. You can drop us a line there. Just go to the contact page. You can fill out the email thing and just, you know, let us know. Say hi and just, you know, let us know how you like the show or if you don't like the show and uh yeah you can help us out on patreon as well if you want to do that you can you there's lots of cool perks there you can you get early access to these episodes you can get a shout out at the end of each episode so there's lots of cool stuff there and i think that's about it uh i'm jeremy boyd and i'm john van dyke take it easy